The Truth News Network. And the truth shall set you free. Tell that to anyone on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But you know that the truth will ultimately dominate. No amount of suppression seems to work to change that. So take heart and keep it here. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And your guide through the minefield is Dan Newman. And it's Friday, the last work day of the week, although there are many, many people that will work even through the weekend. But it's a big day today, full of all kinds of information. Guess what? President Joe Biden is caught another time with his hand in the cookie jar. And more money has shown up in Joe Biden's bank account. And guess where it came from? Oh my gosh, not those evil Chinese. Yep, those evil Chinese. We've got so much on top of that, you get set for a big show today.
Station WJAZ Jazz. Good morning, everybody. Steely Dan starts us off today, and that's probably the calmest thing you're going to hear on the show because we've got a panacea of things to bring your way information. Some of these things we've suspected all along, but you just never really know until you really know. Have you thought about what's been going on between Hamas and Israel and what the heck was Hamas thinking when they slipped into Israel early in the wee hours of the morning on October 7th and slaughtered 1,400 Jewish people? What did they plan and what did they expect was going to happen? Well, somebody today has weighed in that knows a little bit about it. Despite the nightmare of tunnel warfare, which we hear there's nothing as egregious as that any place on the planet, in any war. Despite that, the mission being carried out by the Israeli Defense Forces appears very successful. At least that's what the experts are saying. Though Israel doesn't have unlimited time, that's according to retired United States Army Major and urban warfare expert John Spencer. I've heard this guy. He's really sharp. He deemed Hamas an existential threat, and he said their strategy is to create their own civilians' deaths and get the world to react. 
And he predicted they were doing this in order to prevent the IDF from eliminating their military capabilities. And Spencer said, and it's working. He also accused those protesting Israel's supposedly disproportionate response to Hamas of having no understanding of war, the laws of war, or how the world works, and that Hamas, the terror group, would slaughter the protesters if they were given the opportunity for not being radical Islamic followers. You see, you've got to understand the enemy, what makes the enemy tick, what are they hacked off about, and what is their end goal that they're fighting for. There is no American, no Native American, nobody that hasn't been exposed to the ills of jihadist activities and thought life. Nobody can comprehend what they're doing and what they are willing to pay and who they are willing to use to achieve their objectives. In an exclusive interview, retired U.S. Army Major John Spinson, who's a world-renowned expert on urban combat, he serves as chair of the urban warfare studies at the Modern War Institute at West Point, he dove into the various warfare tactics at hand during this current Middle East conflict. Spencer's a founding member of the International Working Group on Subterranean Warfare, the tunnel stuff, deemed the IDF's activity against a plainclothes enemy embedded among civilians as being very precise. Of course, very costly, he said. But it's not unlike any other urban battle he's ever seen. While Gaza is a very highly dense place, cities like Baghdad, Mosul, and Raqqa are more dense, though that doesn't mean it's not any harder to operate in it. From the perspective on the ground, as somebody who teaches this to armies around the world, Spencer said, I think they've been very deliberate in their approach to go through the steps that would be required to accomplish the mission they've stated whereas a lot of militaries aren't as clear in their objectives. So, he cited a Vietnam War saying, quote, you have to destroy the city to save it, but it's the reality of urban fighting. The saying conveys that there's a defender inside the city, which in order to clear out, you basically destroy the city. There's nothing I've seen, Spencer said, that changes that paradigm. So labeling the IDF's battle against Hamas as enemy-centric, enemy-centric in that mission to destroy Hamas's military capabilities, it's very clear. He explained that the task cannot be done entirely from the air, though an air campaign can be used to blow rocket sites to pieces, command and control centers, the ability to communicate and the ability to move even underground. Spencer said, as far as I can tell, the mission being carried out by the IDF appears very successful. Now, they've moved forward very methodically surrounding Gaza City, the step that we call isolate the city, he explained. Reports indicating the northern part of Gaza is now completely cut off. And I'm sure that means both on the surface and underground Because isolating the surface doesn't mean you've isolated the underground. 
But Israel's current conflict with the terrorist Hamas group is actually the Jewish state's fight against an existential threat. We hear that all the time, existential threat, coming out of Joe Biden's White House. He blames anything and everything on existential threat that might possibly fall at his feet for being responsible. But if you want to put something up in the air that nobody can question, just tag it as an existential threat. Who can say otherwise, right? Hamas has in their charter the complete destruction of Israel and the slaughter of the Jewish people. It tried that on October 7th on as many as they could. So what about this underground warfare? We hear little bits and pieces, but we really don't know anything about it. I don't know anybody that's been down there that has seen that web of underground tunnels that we hear are so militarily brilliant for Hamas to use because nobody knows where they all go, what's in them, where they end up, or what could happen if you go in them. 300 miles of underground tunnels with tow. Spencer said, having traveled the world and been in tunnels all around the world, as well as having studied the way militaries approach or don't approach underground warfare, leaders of the world in developing technologies, tactics, and trained personnel for this specific mission. They have one of the biggest underground units, the Yaholam, which is a special forces engineering unit. They also have modern-day tunnel routes, dog units, and a complete major organization that does experimentation and research to develop things. He talked about the challenge of underground warfare, where nothing that any military developed for the surface of the earth for fighting works down there. You can't see down underground without special night vision because there's no ambient light, which is what most of most night vision goggles use. You can't navigate down there because there's no satellite transmission. You can't communicate because there's no satellite or line of sight radio frequency down there that'll work. Many places down there, you can't breathe. Many of your munitions can't fire down there because the concussion will blow your eardrums and give you basically a concussion without special equipment. In addition, such depths can't be reached with aerial technologies. Hamas dug deeper and deeper because of the fact that bunker buster bombs can go about 100 feet underground, he said. And the Israeli Defense Force has already found some Hamas tunnels 200 feet underground, below where any bunker buster can get or any other munition. The Israeli military believes that there are likely tunnels even 300 feet beneath the surface. That's the length of a football field straight down. While the IDF has some of the greatest equipment and little robots that can send down, drones that bounce off walls, remote control cars, and dogs, with 300 miles of such tunnels, you'll quickly run out of that capability. And sending somebody into a tunnel is the very last resort. So you always seek a way not to get into a tunnel, he explained. But he noted the IDF has some personnel that can including everything from special forces throughout Saret Matkal to the special soldiers that have been trained for it. Another issue, nobody really knows what this is doing for sure, but the presence of captives being held hostage in these tunnels. 
Spencer said, we're 99%. Sure, all hostages, or a major number of them, are underground. So even some of the historical methods in which militaries use to deal with tunnels, whether it's to explode them or neutralize them by putting tear gas in them or flooding them or something similar, you won't initially be able to do because you have the map and navigate the tunnel to see if there are hostages down there. Calling this scenario a really wicked problem and a nightmare to fight in, Spencer explained why previous common methods are not feasible under these current conditions. Even the basic military, what we teach every soldier and every military in the world is to fire and move. In a tunnel, there's no fire and move. There's just fire down the tunnel and maybe fire coming back at you. You can't flank them or get around behind them. You can't move around them. You can't surprise them. So it's really a nightmare of a place to have to go fight or have to even enter. You can't even breathe down there without special breathing equipment, depending on the depth that it goes and the ventilation it has. But Spencer persisted. The presence of hostages underground is not an impossible problem to solve. Rather, it merely means forces must move slower and the mission's going to take more time. Israel developed the world's first hostage rescue teams that the rest of us have now copied. So they have hostage rescue teams and many special forces units that all have underground training. They can put a drone into a tunnel beforehand to see if there's a hostage down there before they do something to the tunnel. He expressed a belief that the IDF, for them to accomplish its objectives, it would need several months. Several months. Well, we've been one month now. October 7th, a month ago. Although the hostages make the situation very unique, there's no historical precedent for this at that scale. I would say it'll take months. I don't think years, just months, he said, but definitely not days and unlikely weeks. However, he maintained the real question is how much time they have, not how much time it'll take. No military gets unlimited time. Israel doesn't have unlimited time, he said. So that means you're going to have to make a lot of decisions about risk and take risk and make hard military decisions. The other thing I'm curious about is what about all the civilian casualties? Nobody's talking about that. Oh, we know how egregious it is. And Hamas, they don't ever even talk about the civilians that they've killed. They don't want to talk about that. They want to point all the fingers at the IDF and those evil Jews that must be obliterated from the earth because, well, they're Jews. Think there's a racist or two numbering among Hamas? Oh, my gosh. So all this uproar for three weeks now, we need a ceasefire. We've got to back off for a little bit and let everybody recoup and get some hostages out. Of course, that was the Biden perspective. And then over on the Israeli side, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, he had one word answer. Literally, one word. Nope. No ceasefire. And of course, Joe, at first, we backed the Israeli people. They were 
in the middle of the night, slaughtered 1,400 of them. They didn't do anything wrong. We stand firmly with our partners in the Middle East, the Israeli people. And then, after last Thursday's um, speech by former President Barack Obama, urging everybody to slow down, have a ceasefire, immediately the White House changed their tune to parallel that of Barack Obama. And then I heard this morning, Joe's back on the bandwagon. Hey, there's no place for any kind of ceasefire. We've got to have all those hostages released. There's a lesson in there somewhere. There really is. And you know what the lesson is? It's directed directly at President Joe Biden. Why don't you shut up, sit down, and let the real big boys take over and do what they know to do? Can you believe he's the commander-in-chief? He waffles all the time. He has no clue, no sense of understanding about any military action. And he showed us that. We should have got an eyeful of how horrible he is at anything to do with military and planning and strategic uh, issues and how to get it around them and get them on your side, those strategies that you can use for yourself. In Afghanistan, the withdrawal there, it was nothing but utter chaos. And the icing on that cake, that Biden cake is, they brought 100,000 people from Afghanistan that we knew nothing about. We don't know how many terrorists there are. 100,000. I'm sure there are some really good people there, but I'm also sure there are some pretty bad people there. A lot of terrorists either come from Afghanistan or go to Afghanistan to learn how to be a terrorist or get better at being a terrorist. And, of course, all of these 100,000, oh, we vetted them. We went to Yemen on the way. We get to Yemen, our ally, which they're not. They're on the side of Hamas. (laughs) Joe, he'll listen and believe anything that somebody he likes says. Oh, that's right. I feel exactly like he feels. (laughs) It's not funny. It's ridiculous to think that this is the man running the most powerful nation on the earth. He doesn't have a clue about the job. And he didn't want the job. He wanted the title. Now, They pushed, Joe pushed, Netanyahu pushed back again and again and again. And so yesterday, the pause thing got a little traction. And this will show you what a real leader does and how and why they do it. Netanyahu came out and said, we'll agree to a four-hour humanitarian pause. That way, People can get out of the way. Civilians can move around during that four-hour period every day. But we don't have to worry about Hamas rearming themselves. There wouldn't be enough time to do it, and we can watch them while they're doing it. And so Joe started crying, look, we got him to give in. We got him to give in. Guess when the four-hour humanitarian pause started? Two and a half weeks ago. They were already doing it. We didn't even know it. Joe didn't even know it. Yep, that's our commander-in-chief. 
And then there's this other thing, this proxy war for Iran's proxies to just come out there and just lob bombs and shoot down our drones, hurt people, more than 40 of them that were hurt. It's no big deal. 40 of those that were hurt have brain injuries, permanent brain injuries. What's Joe Biden doing about it? Squat? Yesterday on the broadcast of CNN Situation Room, White House National Security Council Coordinator John Kirby, he reacted to U.S. troops facing more of those attacks from Iranian proxy groups in the wake of the strikes on Wednesday by stating it's, quote, not uncommon after we take a retaliatory strike for there to be some sort of secondary set of strikes by these proxy groups. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Listen closely. I'm going to do the Joe Biden version of, I'm going to counter what Kirby just said. They quit attacking us when we attack them and tell them, don't you do it again. That, of course, is the way a real leader, commander-in-chief, did it and stopped it on multiple fronts during his four years as president. That would be former President Donald Trump. Admiral John Kirby. I don't know where he got that response. He may have pulled it out of his butt, but it's not part of military strategy. It's not. I mean, my kids earned that. They learned it when they were little. When they did something wrong, guess what happened? We held them accountable. They didn't come back after they got a spanking and then make me bend over and spank me. That's the Joe Biden retaliatory, retaliatory strike, retaliatory, retaliatory strike. They are good people. They mean well. CNN's Wolf Blitzer asked Kirby, as you know, the U.S. struck Iranian weapons in Syria last night in retaliation for attacks on American forces. But since then, U.S. troops have already been targeted in four more. So are these U.S. retaliatory strikes actually working? And Kirby, he kind of him and hawed, and then he answered, it's not uncommon after we take a retaliatory strike for there to be some sort of secondary set of strikes by these proxy groups. We haven't seen them be very effective. That doesn't mean we're talking or taking it lightly or we're undermining it at all. Obviously, we'll continue to do what we have to do to protect our troops in Iraq and in Syria. You heard the president talk about that today. Look, these proxy groups and the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guard Corps of Iran that supports them, resources them, trains them, funds them, gives them these capabilities, they have a choice to make. We've shown that we will do what we have to do to protect our troops in Iraq and Syria. I'm going to stop right there. What the H-E-A-A-L was he referring to? We've shown them that we will do what we have to do to protect our troops in Iraq and Syria. The paragraph above, he said, it's not uncommon for them to retaliate against us after we attack them. The 
this guy lives in La La Land. He must have moved in next door to the Bidens. None of that makes sense. And this is the number one intelligence creator and briefer in our military strategy operations, John Kirby. He has no clue. Well, we're going to end this segment with that. We're not going to spend every day, all day talking about this stuff, but when there are big, important things that expose things on both sides, looks good, did a good job. We want to, way to go, give them an attaboy. But at the same time, every time our military and political leaders do something stupid that potentially will lead to the death, if not brain injuries for our people in the military, and they don't do anything about that, I'm going to tell you about it every time I see it. We're Americans. Joe Biden's first job, he told us, his number one responsibility was to keep the people of the United States safe. We've got 41 military members that have permanent brain injuries because Joe Biden, he waited to retaliate. And then when he retaliated, they retaliated right back. In other words... We're not scared of you, Mr. Biden. We know that you're feckless. And so we're going to do what we want to do. Why? Because you won't do anything, any real thing in retaliation against us. I told you at the top of the show, if you just joined us, you may not have heard it. New money discovered going into Joe Biden's coffers. How much money? $900,000. Details about that next. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy. Grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Who's us? Supermodels. What are you, model gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's, uh, 
bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. I guess one thing we've learned in this horror show that opened up when Joe Biden began, along with his son and his little brother, Jim, um, the president's little brother, James Jim, they started dealing with red China, communist China. I didn't ever think about anybody doing that. I, I just figured regular, normal corruption, some of that would be going on. But I didn't realize the scope of it. And then we have our pandemic. And we learn that the Chinese are up to their eyeballs around the nation getting involved in medicine and creating bad medicine to use against their political foes. And it was shocking to me to learn just how involved the Chinese were and about the people that were involved with the Chinese, like Dr. Anthony Fauci, and the fact that every major university with a real science department, every big one in the United States was accepting grant money, I mean millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars from the Chinese that are earmarked, those dollars, specifically for research. That comes out. And then more and more comes out. Well, because of all of the money that has been discovered going to many universities that get millions of dollars from the U.S. taxpayers, and now they're getting millions of dollars at the same time from the Chinese Communist Party, it's disguised as being research grants. But they're not doing it for that purpose. They're doing it to own the technology. They're basically buying their way into getting all of our intellectual medical properties. And I'm sure in every other sector that the Chinese won't. They find some way to buy somebody in the United States. So this story, it just happened to pop up yesterday in the House of Representatives when a bill that had been introduced to make it mandatory for any university, any college in the United States that gets any foreign money from anywhere to immediately notify the federal government. And in that conversation, guess what came to light? Big money going from the Chinese to the University of Pennsylvania. Now you're getting close. Joe Biden's Penn Center at University of Pennsylvania. Now, Joe didn't go to University of Pennsylvania. I don't think anybody else in the Biden family went to UPenn. So what's the attachment there? What's my lesson to everybody that listens in? Follow the money. Listen to this conversation in Congress yesterday. This bill establishes a zero-tolerance policy toward nations that pose a national security threat such as China and Iran. It requires full transparency if these adversarial nations contribute even a single dollar to any of our colleges or universities. During 2018 and 2019, Joe Biden's Penn 
Penn Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania received more than a half a million dollars from a group with ties to the Communist Party of China. The House Oversight Committee also discovered that the University of Pennsylvania paid Joe Biden $900,000 during this very same period. A new report yesterday by Barry Weiss also highlights that at least 200 American colleges and universities withheld information on $13 billion from foreign regimes, with much of that coming from the Middle East. Pro-Hamas groups have gained a foothold in our colleges, very sadly. And the colleges and universities raking in money from the Middle East appear to be ignoring Title VI while they allow Jewish students to be threatened and harassed on campus. H.R. 5933 holds taxpayer-funded colleges and universities accountable. It requires public disclosure of foreign gifts to individual staff and reveals foreign investments and endowments. We must protect students, universities, and our American values by eliminating foreign influence on college campuses. Ending foreign influence on our college campuses. There is so much money in big education, far more than I ever thought there was, and I knew there was a bunch. You look around the landscape of your state, where you're living, at the universities there, and look at what's happened in those universities just in the last decade. You see all kinds of construction projects going on, renovations, new facilities. I'm talking about this monstrous sports complexes that are going up everywhere. Where does the money from those come from? It's not coming from our federal government. Much of it has been coming from overseas. Now, one would expect the heads of, that would be a board, and of course the officers, the president, vice presidents of any university in the United States would be very, very sensitive to making sure that any of the contributions that come into those universities for anything, not just athletics, not just education, not just research, but for everything that outside money comes from, they would make sure that it was coming from good places. What does this all illustrate? We know it's been happening for years. What does it illustrate? They just want the money. They just want that money that comes in unfettered. There's no such thing as unfettered money that comes from someone else. There's always some kind of thing attached to it that the giver is going to expect. And if you don't follow through, one thing for sure will happen. You won't get any more money, but I'll guarantee you there's blackmail out the wazoo in that whole process around the U.S. Don't think for a second that Xi Jinping wouldn't just automatically lob a little piece of blackmail over to some university president that refused to do for them what Xi Jinping, and and it may not be him, I'm sure it's not the president of China, but somebody in a high place, they're going to do whatever it takes to get what they expect out of any of that. That's just like Joe Biden. He's no different. He's got obligations. He's the one that brought the Chinese to the University of Pennsylvania. 
and he bragged about getting them, UPenn, hundreds of millions of dollars of Chinese contributions. Joe bragged about it, just like he bragged about getting that prosecutor in Ukraine that was investigating Hunter Biden's employer, Burisma. The love of money is the root of all evil. If you go after money and if you're willing to sell your soul, your honesty for a buck, it's going to happen. And once people find out somebody in a place of power is willing to do it, the word gets out. And it's over. Your reputation out in the international market of politics, and there is such a thing, by the way, you're known as, he's a player. And they'll come stand in line to buy influence in whatever you're over. And in this case, it was then vice president of the United States. Now it's the president of the United States. $900,000 in one year came to Joe Biden from the University of Pennsylvania. And it was because of all the millions Joe got the Chinese to pay to the University of Pennsylvania, where he, Joe Biden, just happened to set up his offices. This kind of crap is really going on, and it's far worse than we can even imagine. Let's just circle back for a second to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, war, whatever you want to call it. Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which is a terror group controlled by Iran and Gaza, they released some propaganda videos late last night, our time, that featured two Israeli hostages. And they offered their release in return for fuel and other supplies. The video, like a Hamas video released last week, it shows the hostages blaming Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for that October 7th terror attack. Though it goes further, specifically blaming him for the murder of all the children and for all the problems that happened in Israel in the world. <laughs> Maybe we kind of do that over here on the part of our blaming our president for everything bad happening, right? In the video, a masked Islamic Jihad figure claims that the two could be let go, these two hostages, for humanitarian reasons, and he suggests they will die for lack of medicines in Gaza. He also suggests that the release of the hostages would await the right conditions. Presumably, he's meaning a unilateral ceasefire by Israel. The video is notable in that it is the first show of any male hostage, Yagil Yaakov, 13. He, like the other hostage, Hannah Katzir, age 77, was kidnapped from kibbutz near Oz. That's according to the Times of Israel. Palestinian Islamic Jihad hostages, Hannah Katzer, 77, Yagil Yaakov, 13, thanked their kidnappers for treating them so well, except for the whole violent kidnapping part and using them in this propaganda video. These two hostages, they also mentioned their supporters in Tel Aviv. That refers to some activists and protesters, many of them family and friends of the hostages, who want the hostages released. Everybody does. Though most have shied away from saying they want the war to stop. 
Israel has said, here we go again, it will not accept any long-term pause or ceasefire until the hostages are released. It has vowed to destroy Hamas and other terror groups that are acting in Gaza regardless. Regardless. So Joe's got another foreign policy problem now. Self-made, of course, he's the one making all of these, and subsequently and eventually you and I are going to be the ones that are going to pay the price because he's in that circle where he's got all the money he needs, he's got all the power he needs, and he's getting too old to really believe or think or want to live another 50 years. So he's got his, and it's pretty obvious he doesn't give a rip about what we get. Of course, unless what we get is based upon what we give him. The Biden administration has been warned by some of our own diplomats in the Arab world, it is losing us Arab publics for a generation with its support for Israel's campaign in Gaza. Now that's coming from a diplomatic cable that was seen by several media outlets here. One confidential message from the U.S. Embassy in Oman on Wednesday read, we are losing badly on the messaging battle space as Arab leaders judge the U.S. support for Israel, material and moral culpability in what they think could be possible war crimes. The cable from the second highest official in Muscat, Oman, I've been there, don't need to go there again, and I don't recommend you go there. <laughs> M-U-S-C-A-T, Muscat. Don't ask me why. It was a stop on the way between uh, Zurich, Switzerland and Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. That's the only reason I was there that one time and flew back. Anyway, that cable was sent to security outfits, including the White House's National Security Council, the CIA, and the FBI, and it cited conversations with a wide range of trusted and sober-minded contacts. Things aren't really good right now in the Arab world as far as the U.S. is concerned. It's really not. Remember those Abraham Accords that the world laughed at Donald Trump when he said he was going to bring the nations of the Middle East together and all of the Arab nations, the Muslim nations, and the Israelis were going to be a part of it and get along? They laughed at him. And he got six signatures, the Abraham Accords, which on his first day in office... Joe Biden tore it up, said, we're not going to, we're not going to be part of that. Rights organizations and protesters are putting pressure on his Israeli aligned governments to call for a ceasefire. The Palestinian health ministry in Gaza says 10,800 Palestinians have been killed in the conflict, including 4,400 children. In the occupied West Bank, more than 160 Palestinians have been killed. Please keep in mind, those are numbers that are coming from people that never tell the truth. But it doesn't matter if it's not 10,800 killed. If it's only 2,800, come on now. That crap has got to stop. It is inhumane. It's illegal on every level of every government operation on the planet. You can't slaughter Innocent men, women, and children and get away with it without consequences. Nobody should. 
And then in Israel, more than 1,400 people have been killed, most of them in the initial Hamas attack on the 7th of October, and about 240 hostages were taken from Israel into Gaza. Now, we're a month now and three days into this thing. We don't know who the hostages are. We don't. We don't know what is necessary to get them released. We have no idea where they are. We have no idea what physical, mental, emotional condition they're in. A month and three days? What kind of leadership do we have in Washington? I can't imagine a scenario, personally, I can't think of one in which even people like Barack Obama would sit in the Oval Office with his arms crossed watching CNN, not doing something, not finding out all the facts about this and instigating something to get the information and then get those people released. A month and three days, we know nothing. Last weekend, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken attended a summit in Jordan with his top diplomats from Egypt, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates, along with the Secretary General of the West Bank-based Palestinian Liberation Organization. There, Arab leaders call for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza, a call that Blinken didn't support. He used to. He actually tweeted it out and then got busted for it and deleted his tweet. He argued that ceasefire would give Hamas time to replenish resources after weeks of intense fighting. Biden said he thinks there should be a humanitarian pause in the conflict after his campaign speech last Wednesday evening was interrupted by a protester calling for a ceasefire. I think we need to pause. And then when somebody told Joe, hey, they have agreed, the Israelis have agreed to a four-hour pause, and it's because of you, Mr. President, he gets in front of a camera and he starts patting himself on the back like he always does. Look what I did. I put the heat out there, and Israeli President Premier, not President, Premier Benjamin Netanyahu, who's a good friend of mine. We've known each other for many, many years. He's a really good guy. He listened to me. Why? I'm Joe Biden. And they put this four-hour pause in. Good for me for talking them into doing it. And then somebody whispered to him, Joe, they've been doing that pause every day voluntarily since October the 8th. Joe really didn't know it. Oh my gosh, such a a pause, a ceasefire, could include some time for civilians in Gaza Strip to receive some aid and for foreign nationals trapped on the Strip to get out. It was a subtle departure for Biden and top White House aides who, throughout the Middle East crisis, have been steadfast in stating they will not dictate how the Israelis carry out their military operations in response to to the October 7th attack by Hamas. Well, they're saying that, but then they're telling, oh, we want a ceasefire. We want a pause. It's none of their business. It's the bottom line. Do you think Joe 
even as non-lucid as Joe is, he would listen to somebody else in some other country about what the United States should do as uh, in military actions? I don't think even Joe would do that. An Oxfam spokesperson said, U.S. and in Israel's four-hour Gaza pauses are not enough. Forced displacement is unacceptable. Israel must protect civilians, not displace them. In other words, forget about what, what Hamas did on October 7th. Forget about the things they've been doing since. Don't even put those in the question or put them out there. It really doesn't matter. You can't fix stupid. What do we have left on the show today? We're a little more than an hour away. We're getting close to where we're going to cycle into real election times. We're now inside a year before we're going to be electing our members of Congress, those that are coming up. Of course, every member of the House of Representatives does every two years, but also a new president and vice president. So we're going to be thinking about a lot of things between now and then. And what's front and center is the validity, the safety of our election systems. Now, if you listen to places like CNN or MSNBC or even the big three broadcast networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC News, you're going to hear anybody poo-pah any word, any story, any sentence about any potential or alleged election fraud. There's no election fraud. There was none in 2020, none in 2022. That's been pounded into the public's head. And if you dare stick your head up and say, I don't believe that, you're an election denier. You're like those insurrectionists at the Capitol that Donald Trump sent down there to overthrow our democratic government process for electing our leaders, you do realize there are hundreds of cases of voter fraud, hundreds, hundreds of ones that were caught and exposed. And it's still happening. It happened in the election events in the last few weeks. We're going to take our second break. And on the other side of it, I'm going to talk to you about three of those such instances. I'm going to let you listen to somebody else that's involved in them tell you what they're all about. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running, and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. It's movie season. We count down your favorite movie classics, including When Harry Met the Bathroom, Close Encounters of the Third Bathroom, A River Runs Through the For someone suffering with sucrose intolerance, a favorite movie often ends in the bathroom. If you're experiencing chronic diarrhea, gas, stomach pain, and bloating, remember, sucrose intolerance, or CSID, can be diagnosed by your doctor with the aid of a sucrose breath test. Visit sucroseintolerance.com. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... uh, with 
Sorry. Here we go from the top and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko. So Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years. <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good. I'm good. <clears throat> For over 75. <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Gecko. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's quality guarantee. Signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. Okay, here we go. I'm an election denier. I think there was cheating in 2020. I think there was cheating in 2018, 2016, 2022. I think there was cheating. I think there's one country and one country only on the planet Earth that has totally documented, proven, free and fair elections that are never manipulated. We'll talk about that at the end of this segment. So what about the election fraud cases? I've got three, three right here. And then I've got a fourth I'm going to tell you about. But three of them, I want you to hear about them for yourself. The first one just happened up in Connecticut. Some other news for you right now at five. Today was day two of the Bridgeport absentee ballot hearing. And the woman right here in this video, allegedly at the center of all this, was spotted with a drop box. She was on the witness stand. Channel 3 New Haven Bureau Chief Matt McFarlane was inside court today, and he's joining us live right now with more. Matt. Hi there, Mark. Well, that woman, Wanda Jeter Pataki, in that video, she was called to testify, wanted to speak about the ballots and that video. But not surprisingly, she didn't say much. Instead, pleading the fifth. Did you dep ever deposit an absentee ballot, a completed absentee ballot that was not yours in a city drop box? On the witness stand and question for 35 minutes, Wanda Jeter Pataki, the City Hall employee and supporter of Mayor Joe Gannum, took the fifth. She and her attorney refusing to answer questions. Again, Your Honor, on behalf of my client, I would assert her privilege. With nearly all of them focusing on her handling of absentee ballots. Is that you placing completed absentee ballots into the drop box at 999 Broad Street? And how she allegedly stuffed a number of them into a drop box or gave them to other people to do the same in the days leading up to September's primary. Did you just high-five the gentleman who uh, placed absentee ballots into the drop box? Again, on her behalf, asserting her privilege. After a video surfaced on Democratic challenger John Gomes filed a lawsuit asking for a new primary. Gomes won the in-person voting at the poll. But the absentees, which broke roughly two to one for Ganim, put the mayor on top by 251 votes. It stains the political world. It stains Bridgeport. Also on the stand today, Anita Martinez, who's running for city council on the Ganim slate and also allegedly seen on video putting ballots in a drop box multiple times. I think it's sad that election officials and campaign volunteers in the city of Bridgeport are forced to take this Fifth Amendment in, uh, privilege against self-incrimination. But an attorney representing Bridgeport's town clerk claims the video isn't enough to overturn the election. It says to me that this election uh, may have had bad actors involved. I'm not saying that that didn't occur, but it's not to a level 
that would uh, disenfranchise all the thousands of voters who did it right. Now again, this court case will take a break on Monday. They'll be back here on Tuesday, and that's when we expect Mayor Joe Ganim to take the witness stand. We're live at the Mobile Newsroom in Bridgeport. Matt McFarland, Channel 3, Eyewitness News. Matt. Yeah, but Dan, that's just a little local election in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Okay, keep that thought in mind. Yeah, it was Bridgeport, Connecticut. I don't write where it is. I was chased by a radio station in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's a suburb of Manhattan. Wanted us to come back, come up there, I guess, in the late 80s and uh, go to work for this radio station. We didn't go, but it's really close to downtown New York City. So it, what happens there is pretty impactful to a lot of other people. So that's Bridgeport. Well, that's just one. Okay. What about in Michigan? Pilots were from the 2020 election. The Thetford Township supervisor alerted Michigan State Police last August after she learned of this discovery. 289 absentee ballots were found in a storage unit in downtown Clio. Rachel Stanky says she was first alerted back in 2021 about the possibility of absentee ballots being in a storage unit from someone who worked the election. At the time, Stanky says she told the Michigan Attorney General and Secretary of State's office. She later contacted Michigan State Police. I went to contact the state police. That was my just to let them know of this person who was willing to file a report and say she had, you know, found these ballots in the store or found these ballots in the room. Um, we got another tip that there was some township documents in a storage unit. So from there, I called the state police, and the state police are the ones who recovered those ballots in the storage unit. MSP recovered the ballots in August. Several months ago, Stinky filed a Freedom of Information Act request for details regarding this investigation. Her request was approved, and she learned the storage unit was rented by a former township employee whose name was redacted in the FOIA paperwork. She was not aware when she put it in there. She was asked to store it in there. She just Stinky says that the reason for Tuesday evening's special meeting was to make Thetford Township residents aware of this investigation. Can the voters here, can they trust that the elections are run accurately? That's our goal. <laughs> so um, that's why I want to bring this to their attention, and I want them to be able to make sure that their elections are run fairly and smoothly. Well, one person who lives in this community says she won't be so quick to trust again. Can you trust future elections here? No, I cannot. Katie Hicks, who ran in 2020 for Thetford Township Clerk, lost by just 19 votes. She says she was very upset to learn these absentee ballots were found in a storage unit. Now this is all coming out, and it kind of, you know, I'm kind of happy that it's coming out because the elections are right around the corner again, and it concerns me that this will take place again for 2024. Michigan State Police, they are still investigating. And I do want to make a correction. During the Fox 66 broadcast, I provided the wrong name of the current township clerk. Her name is Nicole Moore, and she was not at tonight's special board meeting. Now, I did reach out to her for comment, and I have not heard back. For now, live in the studio, Courtney Bennett in Michigan Now. That's from Genesee County in Michigan. Maybe now you'll say it again, Dan. That's just another little local election. You do realize that where local elections happen in the midterm races, not the off year necessarily, but the midterm yeses, uh, races every elections every two years, there are several hundred 
millions that vote in those same precincts. It's spread out, obviously, and because it's spread out all across the United States, it makes it easier to do the fraudulent acts, to perpetrate those fraudulent acts. Um, I'm going to let you listen to this one, one more. Happened in Greensboro. And then I'm going to tell you a couple that I personally know factually about. And those are verifiable. We started our day at this United States Postal Facility on Yanceyville Street in Greensboro, trying to catch postal employees collecting any absentee ballots they found. You know, I know they worked hard to try to get us all the ballots they could. Charlie Collicutt, the director for the Guilford County Board of Elections, told me post office plant managers and district managers were checking every USPS post office and building. I really don't know what to expect. We didn't see anyone at the four different locations we went to Friday. A request to get inside was denied. On Thursday, 48 ballots were found in a morning sweep. Another 29 were located in the afternoon. We can't do anything with them. So we're just kind of sorting and, and storing them, locking them up uh, for when we can count them. The next ballot count is set for November 12th. Until then, election workers are checking postmarks to make sure they meet the deadline. It's not a huge quantity like some of the other, other states that have had this huge month buildup of ballots. We're talking about a couple of days worth of ballots. They've also been busy with audits. It all adds up to North Carolina possibly being the last state to present election results. Uh, they may be. I see that the other states are doing stuff as we go. I don't know, um, I don't know what that means or if they'll be finished uh, before or after us on Friday. Question for you. Maybe just those three stories alone you heard. Maybe it only involved a few thousand votes. Maybe more than that in those three. Maybe a little bit less than that. But here's the question for you. The only question that needs to be answered. When is it okay for there to be a fake, a false, and illegal vote cast in any election, anywhere? Are you okay with any of that happening? I've actually said that before, and somebody dropped me a text and said, hey, sure there was voting irregularity, not necessarily cheating. They like to use the term irregularity. Certainly there was some of that in 2020 in that election. But there, there certainly weren't enough votes that were cast that way to change the results of the election. That's immaterial. Nobody can credibly say that unless you know the veracity of the exact count of all the votes cast in any election, you can't say there wasn't enough to overturn that election, to make a difference in the outcome of that election. Do you think the people that have been caught cheating through the years, they felt like (laughs) they were going to have enough false votes, cheating, ballots that weren't real, Many of them had been rewritten by people and stuffed in ballot boxes everywhere. Did you see 2,000 Mules? Have you seen the documentary? Anybody out there that's listening today, if you haven't seen it and you want to know for sure if there was cheating in 2020 or there wasn't, you get your answers. You will not believe what you see because of what you've heard coming from mainstream media. And because of that, and also because of the furor that's happened to people around us, you're going to be labeled as an election denier. 
And they're immediately throwing your credibility, what you may already have, throw it out the window. Facts matter. But one big reason that none of this has ever been tackled before is it is so widespread. It doesn't happen in one location at one time. It's impossible to cover it in every way live. And therefore, it is impossible to say we can ever verify that there was not some kind of cheating going on in voting. I listened to the testimony, sworn testimony of an 18-wheeler truck driver. This is two or three weeks after the 2020 election. And he testified under oath that he drove an 18-wheeler that was packed full of boxes, cases of mail-in ballots after the election. You got that. 18-wheeler full of cases, boxes of mail-in ballots. And in the middle of election night, you'll never forget that night, what happened at 10 o'clock local time. All election processes and counting nationwide at 10 p.m. Central Time, that night, election night, all of the election counting stopped. And supposedly there was a problem with the system. Now, why would there be a problem with the system in all states? There wasn't. There wasn't. But 28 states in the nation were using one election process on all their machines. And I'm probably not supposed to say this, but I'm going to. They all use Dominion Voting Systems Electronics software. Now, of course, if you even bring that up, look what's happened to Fox News. They went on live talking about election irregularity for days and days and days and gave all these examples. Some of these I'm talking about now, that truck driver was one of them. Now, these are people that in sworn testimony, this was a guy that had an 18-wheeler full of boxes of mail-in ballots that he took to Pennsylvania to one voting central place, location, and unloaded them the night after the election took place. Now, what happened to those, and why was he there? Why did he do that? Well, it was his job. That's why he did it. None of that's ever been answered. How many votes is it okay for you to be cheated? The only credible answer anybody can give is one. Could be yours if you cheat. I'll finish this segment by saying this. 2,000 mules. If you've ever thought about accepting blindly with no questions or putting your questions out of your mind about possible voter fraud, you need to watch the documentary 2,000 Mules. It proves without question in Philadelphia and in Atlanta in 2020 
with video evidence over and over and over. And not just video evidence. Putting sensors on vehicles that during the election night and the ramp up to the election, mules, election, mail-in ballot election mules. In other words, these were people that were sent out across those cities collecting mail-in ballots, stuffing them in bags, and at night taking them to mail depositories for voters for mail-in ballots. The same people doing it night after night, tens of thousands of mail-in ballots. The largest company on planet Earth that specializes in the verification of election balloting in 13 countries have been doing it for years. They're the ones that did this documentary part of the 2000 Mules. And the owner of that company testified. And they showed video evidence, written evidence, over and over and over again. And what happened to them? They were sued. They were and are being harassed. Many of the people in those companies, owners included, have almost been put out of business, not because they said something wrong, but because they've been threatened by the likes of Dominion Voting Systems. And all they had to do was look and watch what happened between Fox News and Dominion Voting Systems and only cost Fox News a little over a billion dollars and to confess that they shouldn't have reported that there was likely voter fraud. That one country I told you had the, has the safest election system on the planet is Afghanistan. Every little village, every little place where people are grouped together, there's one voting place. You go there, you present your ID, they give you a, a ballot in your hand, you fill it out while two or three people are standing over you watching you fill it out. You hand it back to them. You stick your right index finger in a bottle of ink that will not disappear for weeks, purple, and you leave. You can't go somewhere else and vote because your finger has that indelible ink on it. If you try in Afghanistan to cheat in an election, they cut your right hand off the first time, the second time, they kill you. Do we need to go to that? (laughs) I think that might be a little extreme. I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Um, It certainly seems extreme to me. But we've got, if we're going to have a democracy, if we're going to have people that are getting up pontificating all the time, Donald Trump and his followers, they're destroying our democracy. Our democracy's at stake. Democracies are always under attack. The nature of what they are means the people are going to have to monitor the election centers for their local entity, state, and federal. The people are not only going to have to do it, we better do it, or we're never going to have another safe and fair democratic election. Here's the latest traffic report. 
Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. It seems like every summer starts with a song. Maybe it's one we heard on the radio during our morning drive. Or maybe it was playing in the cafe we ducked into for lunch. Wherever they catch us, certain songs seem to take us away. Songs of waves and sand, of forests and hillsides, of growing up and growing old. Songs that get in our heads and make us smile as we hum them to ourselves. Songs of the sun coming up and the ragtop going down. Of friends we just met and the ones we'll have for life. Songs that define the moments, like the ones we find in Michigan where we take our someday list and start to check things off. A day spent gliding on a sailboat, floating on a pontoon, and climbing over that next hill. A rhythm that takes us somewhere better, somewhere like pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org, and Dan Newman. Do you remember the last time our Attorney General Merrick Garland appeared before Congress, before a committee hearing, and he, when it was questioned about what those whistleblowers, those uh, uh, Hunter Biden whistleblowers testified, where they basically said, that David Weiss, that federal prosecutor from Delaware, he was the one that for four years had been overseeing the IRS problems that Hunter Biden was going to have. That David Weiss, if he needed to expand and go somewhere else, he had, now this is according to the Attorney General, he had perfect authority. He didn't have to come back to Merrick Garland and ask for permission. He could go anywhere in the nation. He could prosecute anybody in the nation in whatever federal district they were. The Department of Justice would support David Weiss in anything and everything he tried. Garland got absolutely angry by over and over again saying, he didn't have to ask me for anything. He already had all that authority. Well, guess what was proven yesterday? The Department of Justice declined a request by Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss for additional charging authority for the Hunter Biden case in the spring of 2022. That was prior to Weiss being 
uh, appointed special counsel. Weiss is the lead prosecutor in the Hunter Biden investigation. Makes me feel warm and fuzzy like, oh man, he's going to get the truth out there and throw the book at Hunter Biden if he's guilty. Yeah, right. Weiss testified on Tuesday this week before the House Judiciary Committee, and he described a call with two DOJ officials who turned down his request for special attorney authority under Section 515. Now, that's according to a transcript of his testimony because it wasn't live. Nobody was in the room except the members of the House Judiciary Committee. Weiss spoke on the phone with Associate Deputy Attorney General Bradley Weissenheimer, his main point of contact, and also Principal Associate Deputy Attorney General John Carlin after he reached out about extending the investigation into Washington, D.C. and California. Weiss testified saying this, and this is a quote, I initiated email contact with Mr. Carlin, and I subsequently had a conversation with John Carlin, and I believe Brad Weisenheimer was on the call too. Weiss described how the DOJ officials told him to follow the normal charging process instead of giving him the extra authority. Weiss said this, We discussed the fact that I would. They wanted me to proceed in the way it would typically be done, and that would involve ultimately reaching out to the U.S. Attorney in the District of Columbia, Weiss said. Now that's from that transcript. He continued, I raised the idea of 515 authority at that time because I'd been handling the investigation for some period of time. And as I said, they suggested let's go through the typical process and reach out to D.C. and see if D.C. would be interested in joining or otherwise participating in the investigation, he added. President Biden appointed U.S. Attorney for District of Columbia Matthew Graves testified before the Judiciary Committee in October and confirmed that he declined to partner with Weiss on a Hunter Biden case. That's again according to that transcript. U.S. Attorney for the Central District of California, E. Martin Estrada, another Biden pick, also testified before the committee and confirmed his refusal to work with Weiss on the Hunter Biden case. Now, Weiss told the Judiciary Committee this week he viewed the 515 authority as necessary for him as a U.S. attorney to file any charges in a different jurisdiction. As I understand it, he said, the special attorney under 515 was for the purpose of allowing me, as a U.S. attorney in one jurisdiction, to possibly proceed with charges in another jurisdiction. Weiss also described a conversation with DOJ officials about the process surrounding potential cases in the District of Columbia. As I said, they said, let's proceed as we would in the normal process. We talked a bit about the fact that it's often the case in D.C. that a DOJ component, whether it's tax division or public integrity, would develop a case and reach out to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington and give them an opportunity to participate. So the discussion was, let's proceed in a typical fashion. At another moment during his testimony, Weiss specifically recalled his request 
for that authority, Section 515. I did ask for 515 Special Attorney Authority, Weiss stated, in the spring of 2022. Nevertheless, Weiss insisted he would have been given 515 authority by the DOJ if the U.S. attorneys declined to partner with him on the case. They said to follow the process, talk to Graves, give him the opportunity to join, and when I completed that process, I returned to 515, and I was assured you had the authority to proceed in D.C. and to file any charges you deem appropriate. Weiss was pressed again on Section 515 authority and the nature of his phone call later in his testimony, resulting in a dispute over specific ter- terminology. But 515 authority wasn't granted, right? Yes, we have been over this, Weiss said. It wasn't granted. They said, follow the process. I followed the process, Weiss repeated. I asked for something, and in that conversation, they didn't give it to me, Weiss added. And he refused to say if the decision not to grant 515 authority was a denial by DOJ officials. I'm not. You want me to say it's a denial, but it's not. Not when I know that, weeks later, I was specifically told, you can proceed. So it's the same question. It's the same request, he insisted. From my mind, it's a sequencing event. It's not a denial in any way, shape, form, or fashion. That's why I interpreted it. Now remember those whistleblowers. IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley testified about an October 7, 2022 meeting where Weiss said, according to Shapley, the DOJ denied his request for special counsel authority and told him to follow the process. Shapley's attorneys have shared an email and also handwritten notes containing Shapley's account of the meeting. Weiss's rebuked Shapley's accusation that he requested special counsel authority and Chapley's allegation that Weiss said he didn't have the final say on whether to file charges. I described that I had a conversation with Maine Justice about following the process, Weiss said, and I didn't request special counsel authority. I requested what I characterized as 515 authority, Weiss testified. And he also said he was not accusing Chapley of lying. I can't speak to Mr. Shapley. I'm not saying anything about whether he's lying. I'm not suggesting that he's lying. I don't know the basis for his statements or what he's committed to his notes, Weiss said, according to a transcript of that testimony. He previously denied Shapley's accusations in a July letter to Republican South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. Two IRS officials have testified about a rift between Weiss and Shapley that resulted in Shapley's removal from the Hunter Biden case. In early June, Weiss wrote a letter to House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, and he said he had ultimate authority over the Hunter Biden investigation. A few weeks later, Weiss wrote a second letter to Jordan where he said his charging authority was geographically limited. Are you following this? There's a ball-faced lie or two or three or four in this whole thing coming from Mr. Weiss. Jordan told reporters after Weiss's testimony Tuesday 
Shapley had been vindicated by Weiss's admission that he was denied special attorney authority and instructed to follow the DOJ process. And that answer, I think the key is, is entirely consistent with what Mr. Shapley said after the October 7, 2022 meeting when he said USA Weiss, that's United States prosecutor, requested special counsel authority when it was sent to D.C. and Maine DOJ denied his request and told him to follow the process. Shapley and IRS whistleblower Joseph Ziegler testified back in May and June before the House Ways and Means Committee and accused DOJ investigators of giving Hunter special treatment. Shapley had accused Graves and Estrada, Estrada now, he's the one in California, of refusing to cooperate on the case prior to their testimony. The Ways and Means Committee released a trove of documents in September that supported the whistleblower testimony Hunter is suing the IRS for alleged illegal disclosures by Shapley and Ziegler. And here comes the big guy, not Joe, but Attorney General Merrick Garland. He appointed Weiss special counsel in August after the IRS whistleblowers came forward and Hunter's guilty plea agreement fell apart in court. Garland testified before the Judiciary Committee in September and he deferred to Weiss on the specifics of the Hunter Biden investigation. The Attorney General said Weiss had full authority over the Hunter Biden matter, and Garland said he did not consider anyone else for the special counsel position. Hunter was indicted, you'll remember, in September on three federal gun charges. He pleaded not guilty to the charges at an October 3rd arraignment in Delaware. So through that weave, (laughs) a bunch of tunnels there, not just over in Gaza, a bunch of tunnels there to figure out and go through. It stinks. It smells. And it boils down to this. After I followed this whole thing, and I've read this particular story over and over and over last night and this morning, let me tell you where the rabbit trail takes me. Attorney General Merrick Garland, he's the ultimate. He's the guy at the top of the heap. Everything that happens in the entire Department of Justice, tens of thousands of employees across the United States and even places around the world, they all answer to him, and he's over all of them. He's never managed anything but a courtroom. He gets thrown into politics. And this didn't just happen. This happened during the very last year of the Barack Obama presidency. An opening came up in the Supreme Court. Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland, who was in D.C. in an appeals court there. But his nomination was never taken up to be considered by the U.S. Senate. Of course, that raised an uproar. It was all political and all that. It may have been, but it was within the rights of the Senate and the majority leader in the Senate, who was Mitch McConnell at that time. And so it is what it is. That was when the world met Merrick Garland. 
And I, for one, back then, I only knew him, had never heard of him, but I only knew him as an appointee by Barack Obama to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court. I am so happy he did not get confirmed to the Supreme Court. Look at what he's doing. From just his lack of knowledge and ability to manage and manage people and processes that are so obvious, look at what's happening now. Do you know the lives that have in some cases been virtually destroyed by his inaction or things that he says that aren't true? And I'm not saying he's trying to do something or not do do something other than I trust he's trying to do the best job that he can do. But he has no obvious reason and purpose nor right to get involved in the political situation of the rule of law in the Department of Justice. That's what he's supposed to be managing and nothing else, unless his wife lets him balance their checkbook. And lives, these two whistleblowers, Ziegler and Shapley, they came forward to testify as whistleblowers. Now, when you filed as a whistleblower and you get the commitment from the Department of Justice, the FBI, the IRS, whoever you're working with, that you can step forward, you're given, you're indemnified against any prosecution. The people you work for can't take any retaliation against you. They can't do any of that. You can't be fired. And those two members of the FBI, their lives have been destroyed illegally by people in the Department of Justice and the IRS. And they felt like they were doing their civic duty as Americans. And all the people on the other side, they don't have a scratch. Nobody's doing anything. Let's move on. Tucker's back with us. Tucker came forward with his episode number 38 of Tucker on X series. And he came forward to cover the disturbing case about Douglas Mackey, also known as Ricky Vaughn. Mackey slash Vaughn was sentenced last month to seven months in federal prison. You know what for? Quote, attempting to deprive individuals from exercising their sacred right to vote for the candidate of their choice in the 2016 presidential election. The charges, and by the way, the subsequent conviction, were about a meme that he posted during the 2016 election about Hillary Clinton, who was then running, as you know, to be elected president. Tucker said, the First Amendment is done. If someone had even told you even 10 years ago that you could be indicted by the federal government and go to jail for 10 years for making fun of Hillary Clinton on social media, you would not have believed it, Tucker said. It's a free country. We have free speech. Pardon my French, but it's called a SHIT post. Mackey explained after contending he hadn't created the meme in the first place. The one in question but had just reposted it on what was then known as Twitter. 
We talked about this a lot of the trial. I testified, just sort of a joke. Rile up everybody, muddy the waters. I knew that politicians could be vindictive, and the federal government sometimes could be influenced by those politicians, Mackey said. And I know that they can sort of get very creative with federal statutes. So if I was the enemy of their candidate, then I thought that maybe they could cook something up. In a conviction that many folks saw as chilling for the right of free speech in our nation, Mackey also said this, the left were really celebrating this when he was arrested. That's something of a conundrum. People on the left, they were celebrating that he's going to jail for exercising his intellectual Second Amendment rights. Now put that in the framework of what you're watching play out here in the Biden administration. They thumb their noses at any freedoms of the American people. The pandemic was in part to see how much of our individual freedoms we were willing to give up and give back to our government and let them control that were originally and have been since the founding of the nation and the signatures on the Constitution, our rights. We gave them back. They saw it worked. And look what they did in this case. The guy reposted a meme that did not have any illegal information. Nothing illegal was in that meme. And he's behind bars for reposting a meme on Twitter. My friends, that should scare the bejesus out of all of us. We are so close to losing our First Amendment rights to our federal government. And I think, I really feel strongly that half the nation don't even understand. That can't be done. And they stop thinking after they think that. Oh, that can't be done. Who's playing football this weekend? There's a whole lot of things going on now in the United States of America, things that are being done, things that are not being done that we need to look very closely at because the Americas that we grew up with, everybody in this nation are in trouble. Victor Davis Hanson, yesterday, he laid a little bit out there and explained how bad it really is. They really inflamed Israel justifiably in a way that we had never seen it before. And they've woken up. And the reaction is going to be exactly like the Yom Kippur, except to the nth degree. The second thing is that Joe Biden is not leading events. He's being driven by events. And they have 10,000, 100,000 rockets, I should say, in Lebanon, does, does Hezbollah. If they get full of themselves and they send, I don't know, 5,000, 4,000 at the U.S. fleet, perhaps one might hit it. A lot might hit it. But they don't understand that there is a, there's no patience with them anymore. There's no restraint on the United States. And I don't think Hamas understands that this is the first time in our lives, John, that there's no restraint to speak of. I know Joe Biden will go over there and he'll say, do this and do that and do that. But he's not going to stop this righteous retribution of Hamas. Their original plan was to go in and take 100 or 200 captives, which in itself would be a coup, and kill some soldiers. But 
in their bloodlust, they not only killed over a thousand civilians, but they desecrated, mutilated their bodies. They attacked women and children. They burned them. There was a, it was pre-modern. It was pre-civilizational. Reminded me something out of what I Bernal Diaz and his account of the Aztec sac- human sacrifices, the mutilation. And then Hezbollah is talking, 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 and Iran is talking, 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 and beating their chest. And tomorrow is supposed to be a day of reckoning, but they don't understand that they're widely despised in the Western Europe doesn't is sick of them. And Europe is clamping down on their own unassimilated immigrant Muslim populations. And we are getting very angry at ours. You have a problem as well in Australia. And I think there's no patience anymore. That, what that means is the clients of Iran are not going to be eager to get into a war with the United States or the West in general. And so Iran's not, Iran has no client, it has no backup. And I don't know if they know that. They, they keep thinking because of the weakness in this administration that it's systemic and it will continue forever. But I don't think that Joe Biden will be able to stop the righteous anger if they do something stupid. And they may well do something stupid because we've lost deterrence. They have to be told, the people in Tehran and also some people in the Arab world, if you think you're going to do that and you think all of this rhetoric where we have maps now where there's no Israel, it's all, I think there was one in Representative Omar's office where she had no Israel on it. If you think you're going to get away with that, you're sorely mistaken because people will fight you and they'll win. And uh, that's why this it's very important that Iran not get a nuclear weapon. If they had a nuclear weapon right now, it would be disastrous. And I think, I think people are going to think about that in a way they've never thought about it before in the next few weeks. And it's going to be, it's going to be some tough decision-making. I think people in the West have to rally together and say, the idea of Iran with a nuclear weapon, it cannot be deterred in, in a way that even North Korea can be deterred because it has an in, instinctual existential desire to destroy Israel and the Jewish people. And we cannot let that happen if we're people ourselves. And I think that'll, I, I'm confident that we'll rise to the challenge. Hanson, what he just did was he restated the stuff that we're talking about in this show today, from top to bottom, the war between Israel and Hamas, Iran's involvement, the Arab nations, how they're weighing in now. Look at the illegal immigration. Look at the lawlessness in the United States of America. None of these live in a vacuum. They're all interrelated. Our government, Our nation, no part of it, lives in a vacuum. All of the parts have got to work hand in hand. And until the last decade, the glue that held it all together was the rule of law. Why do you think our forefathers created this government the way they did? Wrote the U.S. Constitution creating three co-equal branches of government that were specifically detailed by department what could they do and what could they not do. Our forefathers were so certain that greedy people, people that didn't want to abide by the rules and laws, would begin to tear these things up. People in the government would begin to tear these things up. They were so afraid that would happen 
that they restated all of the rights that were included in our Constitution, but they put them in synopsis format and they called them our Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments. That's how and why those things came to pass. And when you look at the things we've been discussing, especially in the last hour, about what's happening inside our government, what's happening outside our government because of the things that are happening or not happening inside our government. Look at the ripples across the globe that are happening today that come from one rock thrown into the sea by the current president of the United States. And what is he throwing into the sea? We don't have to abide by the rule of law. We no longer, because I'm Joe Biden, nobody has to abide by the rules and the laws that were passed by the people's representatives, some of which I offered up when I was in the Senate for 50 years. Some of them, I initiated them, and I agreed with all of them. But I'm throwing all of that away. That, my friends, is an example of the destruction of our democracy. Our friends in Europe, they discovered it when all of the illegal immigration over the last five years has turned their nations upside down. They too, they volunteered themselves and looked the other way, looking past the law in their own countries about those things. A country without laws that are enforced according to the laws is not a country. It has no real structure, no matter what the leaders in government say. If there is no accountability for breaking the laws, I don't care which ones, top to bottom. You don't like the laws? Great. There's a process. Change the laws. Well, nobody in Congress will listen to me. They're certainly not going to change laws based upon what I think. How do you know? They may think so too. If you look at the way the Constitution is structured, and how it is so delineated and exact, you'll shake your head every time you hear about another $5,000 convoy, 5,000-member convoy, are headed through Mexico on their way to the southern border. And you hear about 2 million illegals came in this year. Those are the ones we know about. Or a ton of fentanyl came across our southern border and we're averaging losing 100,000 American young people to fentanyl poisoning every year. 100,000. That means Joe Biden during his four years will ran herd, will have run herd over the process that killed 400,000 Americans needlessly. And he wants us to be thankful that he's our president. Now, let me give you another example of lawlessness going crazy. The FBI Newark, New Jersey SWAT team, Jamesburg Police Department, and Middlesex County Prosecutor's Office, that's up in the Northeast. You know where it is, New Jersey. They are currently searching for a guy named Gregory Yetman, a man who is accused of spraying pepper spray at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 
2021. Now listen to this. Yetman is a former military police officer. He served in the New Jersey National Guard, according to his LinkedIn page, fled from authorities when they approached his home on Wednesday morning, day before yesterday. An all-out manhunt has been in place to find him, who had spoken to the FBI previously about his involvement the day of the riots. Yetman admitted to being at the scene, but he insists he did nothing wrong that day. Authorities say he fled into the woods near his property. He may be armed, but the amount of force brought to his home for his arrest has raised some eyebrows on Twitter. Responses from fellow retired Army vets say they they believe the amount of effort authorities are taking to bring this one man to custody is very suspicious. Army veteran James Letts shared a theory on X. It's more than just off, Patriot, he wrote. Having served in the intelligence apparatus for a time in the military, no way they're deploying that much manpower and lethal force for just a random man who just happened to be at the events of January 6th. An operation like what I'm seeing has to be green-lighted from the very top. I would say for an operation like this, they would have to have a little more than articulated suspicion of a threat to national security. However, with this Marxist regime, anything is possible. I'll go on record and say he has something they weren't back. They don't want leaked. They want it back, and they don't want it leaked. Another retired Army veteran, Sean Gatton, So, one dude who was present at the Capitol on J6 gets a manhunt, wasting hundreds of man hours, yet they can't protect our border. They're acting like he's a presidential assassin. They have zero problem executing dissidents and no-knock raids, so there's something more to this than we're hearing. Approximately 1,200 people have been charged with Capitol riot-related federal crimes. Over 1,200. Over 800 of them have pleaded guilty or been convicted by a jury or a judge after a trial. More than 700 of them have been sentenced, with roughly two-thirds receiving terms of imprisonment ranging from three days to 22 years. And I'll remind you of this. One woman, one woman was killed that day. Ashley Babbitt. The left have gone crazy claiming all kinds of deaths happen. One death happened because of what happened January 6th directly and happened that day. Ashley Babbitt was shot in the left side of the back of her neck by a Capitol Police. She was unarmed, had committed no kind of terrorist activity, never threatened anybody, was shot from behind, nobody knows why, by a Capitol Police officer. And today, we still don't know the facts about why he did it. He was never arrested. He wasn't even thrown off the force. He's still there. And the coroner in Washington, D.C., when he did the autopsy, you know what he wrote as the cause of death? Homicide. Two-tier justice system 
is a system of no justice. And it is the antithesis of democracy and our representative republic governing system. We're doomed, ladies and gentlemen, unless we the people step up and say in unity, enough's enough. Leave us alone. You honor the rules of law or you need to leave. You need to go and we'll elect some other people that will honor their oaths of office, their commitment, and will enforce the rule of law. That's the least we can do for our nation. Hey, guys, thanks for being here on Friday. Got a wonderful weekend ahead. I'm prophesying for you it's going to be a good one. So take advantage of the fall weather that it seems at least in northwest Louisiana has showed up. We're in high school football playoffs, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Eat some good food. Watch some great football. Be safe. And we'll see you back here 9 a.m. Central Time, first thing Monday morning. Between now and then, our Saturday Bullet Points offering, we always highlight the big events of the week. That's tomorrow morning at truthnewsnet.org.